This is the Clashing Sabers Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Boylan, and with me is my co-pilot, Drew Brett. But you know what, Brandon? I feel like we've picked up another pathetic life form. We really have. It's just, it's kind of sad. Ladies and gentlemen, you know him, you love him, and if you don't know him, he has a guy for that. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Kirk. Why, hello there. Steve, what's going on, man? Oh, just another beautiful day in the neighborhood. Yeah, in California, where it's always beautiful. Actually, Except when it's on actually, fire. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that, yeah, that that's a thing. Um, actually, I got my first frost this morning. I was quite quite pleased. Your first frost ever? Well, this season. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Brandon. Have you seen snow? Don't you live in like Texas or something? Yes, we actually had snow last year. Everybody lost their minds about it. Wow. Oh. Yeah, it was fun. Um, I've seen snow twice, actually, living in Texas. So <laughs> global warming is a thing, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. No, okay, so you want to know how cool I am? Since, you know, we're going to end up... Let's and just admit that with the three of us on here, we're going to end up making fun of me, so I might as well start it off. Uh, oh, hey, but, hey, 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 hey. What? Brandon, how cool are you? I'm, I'm so <laughs> cool that the first time I... <laughs> the first time I saw snow, I was in college... And I walked out of my dorm room, and I was, like, in hiking boots because that's all I had that I could actually, like, walk through the snow, right? And I didn't realize that snow was going to be really slippery, so I was walking at a normal pace. Oh, my gosh. And went straight up and straight down. So I pretended I was making a snow angel real quick. You're in charge of, of teaching children things? Is that true? Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Certain things. Man. Certain things. Not how to handle snow. That's not... A, my generalist uh, certification does not count for weather, and I don't teach science. So, <laughs> so uh, let, you know what, Drew? I would usually start with you because, I mean, like it would be awkward if I just started with me. But we're going to start with Steve. Steve, what are you Star Warsing lately? What am I Star Warsing lately? Um, you know what I've been Star Warsing lately? I have been Star Warsing my brand new six-scale Mythos obi-wan kenobi from sideshow oh, man nice i have had this thing on pre-order for like a year and a half and it finally showed up last week and it is proudly sitting on my dining room table and there are a variety of outfits and accessories i can equip mr kenobi with and i'm still working through all the possible combinations but he is a gorgeous man uh sitting out there with lightsaber in hand I just now I'm imagining like him in a top hat and <laughs> a little a little coat or something getting ready for tea. Mr. McGregor just over there Ooh. on your t you could do a lot of things with it. You could be I could, creative. I you know, I, I I know I know a person for that. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Oh <laughs> uh, that is it what is it Sideshow that just released the uh Ahsoka for pre order? And it's like three feet tall. It's like just her the upper, like her upper torso up, obviously to the top of her head. That might be sideshow. I don't know. It 
it's like four hundred and fifty dollars. I want that thing so bad. Goodness. I mean, right after I get that Arabesh keyboard, it's going to Ahsoka. Oh yeah, right, you at center. Two two fifty, three fifty was it? That's incredible. And it's not even for the keyboard. It's just keys to replace your keyboard keys. Inconceivable. You keep using the word. I do not think it means what you think it means. That was my exact question. Does it actually type in Orabesh or does it still type in English? No, it types in English. You can get one. Then what the heck? You can paint your keyboard. <laughs> I, I can take my, my label maker and exactly. Orabesh and do this. And I bet you, oh, wait, maybe there's a business model here. If they can get away with 350 <laughs> Oh, you, you need is like this. Solid hundred. You just need that cover that you can put on top of a keyboard and you just put your little label maker on top of that and you'll be good to go. Well, again, this comes back to, I know some, some hardcore keyboard geeks. So I, once again, I know a guy that could help me with this. Jeez, you you're that like, guy who knows every guy in every corner and every alley and every city around the world, aren't you? I've had some travels. <laughs> Steve, I just imagine <laughs> you going to celebration and just setting up like a little corner tent with your keyboard covers would be great it would actually be quite a bit of fun you're going to celebration too right brandon uh i am not going to celebration unfortunately i i i'm sorry what i heard was you're not going yet okay, <laughs> okay. i'm not going to celebration yet okay good because everything is negotiable i just want to remind you about that okay all right uh, before we get my hopes and dreams up too high, we have to bring them down. Uh, let's go to Drew. Drew, what have you been Star Warsing lately? Well, you know, I've been trying to decide how I feel about the new Galaxy of Adventures uh, YouTube shorts that have been released on the Star Wars channel there. I'm glad you brought that the, up I wanted to touch the, on this. I figured you would... Um, and we had, it's a shame they do all these new things with animation like a month after we record our animation conversation. Uh, and I feel like that there's a open question that a lot of people have of whether of how serious Disney is in completely <laughs> rebooting the classic trilogy in an animated style. And part of me thinks that's an awesome idea. Another part of me is extremely apprehensive about that. But I'm not really sure. I haven't come to a final conclusion, so I thought maybe I'd ask you guys and get your your takes on it. So I guess my questions are, number one, have we all watched the things? And number two, how do we feel about the things? So I, of course, have watched all of the things. Um, and, and I posted this in, in the Clashing Saber Star Wars community, our Facebook group, that, like, I... I love the animation style, but when I was told that it was shorts, I was like, okay, cool, these are going to like be three-minute-long things, um, and, and you know, I was thinking something more along the lines of Forces of Destiny, right? So when I got on and watched the first one with Luke Skywalker getting the lightsaber, I was taken aback because I was like, that was like 60 seconds long. The trailer was longer yeah. than the actual episode, right? I thought that was the commercial for the actual yeah. episode. so then I was kind of like disappointed the first time I watched them through, but then... Once we got to the – they had, like, a first wave, and now they've kind of had a second wave, it seems like, that they've come out with, uh, one with Leia facing Vader, and they kind of start doing these cut scenes, and they, so they end up showing you multiple parts of the movie in, you know, that 60 seconds. So I'm a lot more on board now, and I'm actually reading um, the A New Hope Jr. novel with my students right now, and – so to kind of help give them like a, a visual aesthetic for the galaxy, because most of them have not seen, you know, a Star Wars movie. Um, and if they have, it's like the sequel one. So they don't have a lot of framework for it. Right. So 
I showed them all the episodes um, as in order as possible, and they they loved it. They were having a great time. It, there was a lot of oohs and ahs, mm. and and I mean, this is like the target market, right? Or maybe even a little bit past the target market because these are ten and eleven year olds who, you know, can read the junior novels and are watching Resistance and and things like that, right? So if you think even younger to you know your six seven year olds who this is might be their first taste. Um, and I'm I'm a much bigger fan of it now, and I, I really enjoy what they've had to offer. What about you, Steve? I think it's you know I I appreciate all the different variety of media that they're coming out with. Like it's not just here's the movies done in a certain way. Even the movies are showing a diversity in storytelling, in cinematography, in in approach, in perspective, and then. Clone Wars and Rebels gave us a very unique animation style. And now we've got Forces of Destiny came out. Here's a new style with a really specific target audience. Then we get uh, Resistance came out. Uh, yeah, another style and a different target audience and Galaxy Adventures and a different style and not quite sure what the audience it's it's young kids but there's a lot of focus on the young kids and, and bringing in the newer audience through a variety of styles and approaches to kind of maybe broaden the appeal which i'm, I'm all for growing the community no matter what age they are so so i certainly mm -hmm. appreciate them reaching out and i'm really intrigued to see what they do you know that there's always that what are they going to do next yeah yeah, yeah, I because, think that's the open, the they're open doing question. A lot, yeah. yeah, they're doing a lot of new stuff. So there's, and and none of this is, is are things that we necessarily expected or anticipated. So these these are great surprises. Even though I'm not the target demographic, I really enjoy them seeing seeing them do that. Well, and Drew, you talked about like doing a reboot in an animated style, and I don't know if I've brought it up on the show before. I've definitely like mentioned it in our group chat and stuff, but. I would love to see not not a, a reboot, right? Like I don't want them to start the saga all over again, but a reinterpretation of the the original trilogy in this style in a ninety minute you know episode or uh, episodic type thing on Disney Plus could be really cool, I think. Um, yeah, and really connect with the kids, you know, and like because. That first 20, 30 minutes of A New Hope is really slow when you're 10 years old and, you know, you're watching Avengers and, and stuff like that, you know, where the first 20 minutes you have a fight scene already kind of thing. And for the first 20 minutes of A New Hope, you're following the droids around, right? So if it's a, if it's a chance to get more kids in, I'm... I'm not, like, one of the... And this is not a knock on the people who are, like, super, like, oh, well, Canon says specifically this. Because, like, if that's what you're into, that's what you're into. But I'm not, like, this is sacred because it's canon and thus shall not be messed with, you know? And so I would be I would be cool with them, them doing that. Hmm. I haven't quite decided how I feel about it yet because I know there is going... There's an inevitable reboot, right? I mean, Disney is releasing... CGI versions of animated movies they put out 30 years ago. So, and we also have seen now all three of the principal cast from the original trilogy have had younger versions cast in the same characters. You know, we had an entire movie around Han Solo. We had somebody come in to be Princess Leia at the end of Rogue One. And then 
evidently they had somebody hired and dressed and makeup as Luke Skywalker from Empire Strikes Back because they wanted to include new shots in Rey's Force vision from Force Awakens. So they've got three they've got the three principal characters all recast in younger roles and Disney I mean kind of like Brandon like what you had said the way Star Wars was made back in 75 and set through 77 is so different from how modern movie storytelling works that it just stands out, which is crazy to think of because it's kind of a turning point in cinematic history itself. I don't really want to see them do the Marvel Avengers uh, treatment for those kinds of things. I don't, I don't really have an interest in that. If they go, if they take kind of the galaxy of adventures approach and give us an animated feature film for all three, that I would be their opening day for. I'd like to see a reinterpretation, a new style, a new approach. I don't want to see like a rehash, you know, I don't want to see kind of like, you know, a star is born. There's four versions of that movie in the past hundred years. I am legend has three versions of that same story in the same amount of time. I don't really want to see that done with the star Wars universe. I, I think the the classic trilogy is classic and that important for a reason. I don't think that needs monkeying around with, honestly. Yeah, I I have to agree with you on that. And, and that's but I loved I, that that one the that first episode where Luke gets his lightsaber and he's twirling around in the, yeah. in the desert was mind-bogglingly fun. I adored that one. So that I would watch he, for two hours. The moment he clicks on the lightsaber and his hair kind yeah. of flies back, every single one of the kids just burst out laughing. And like, they, whoa, really? Like yeah. laughed as in how goofy that is, or laughed as you in know, like this is amazing kind of a mix of the two um you know because his eyes get kind of wide right and the lightsaber is just glowing a lot and everything turns blue a little bit so there was a little like okay that's a little over the top but it was not like oh. laughing because it didn't work it was like a okay that's over the top but we really like this uh type of laugh and then like stuff like that i think is really really cool and, and yeah i'm totally there i I think that there are certain films that you just you don't touch. You don't remake Jaws. You don't remake Temple of, or not Temple of Doom. You can remake Temple of Doom. You don't remake <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? You right. don't. You don't remake. There, there's certain films that just you you don't mess with, and you can make stuff. You can make sequels. You can make prequels. You can make stuff around it. But there's just certain things that are a no go. Um, and and I think the star. I, I think any of the Star Wars feature films are you, you don't touch them. Um, I think Clone hmm. Wars is in that that pantheon too because it's the last thing that George did. I wouldn't be surprised if they said like, okay, we're starting over with just the movies, you know, and and they wipe the animation out or something like that, or or say the books are now the new legends or something like that. I wouldn't be a big fan of it, but I could definitely see a need for that at some point. Um, but then again, the stories, a lot of the stories that they're telling are very intimate stories that are happening in the span of, you know, like A New Dawn happens in the span of like three days. Phasma happens over a oh, week. Oh, wow. So they're they're telling very short stories. Um, you know, even Aftermath is only like, I think all three books cover six to eight months. Um, so they're, they're not taking up a lot of time except for with books like A Catalyst or something that's setting up a lot of stuff um and and is not going to be really anything they're going to touch later on so they're giving themselves plenty of room to play around yeah that'd be cool if they went back into the prequels first that'd be kind of cool you know what you shut your mouth sir 
I was trying to be positive. I thought that was a, a nice thing to say. Maybe well, it was a little backhanded compliment, but what are you going to do? Yeah. It, it, it's interesting because I, I agree. I mean, the, the classics are the classics, and you don't touch them because if you try to redo them to try and enhance them, to try and make them better, you have to know you're going to fail. And we've 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 actually seen a little bit in the Star Wars universe of this when George Lucas went back to make the special editions and try mm. to augment them, and that became extraordinarily, and it's still extraordinarily controversial. Yeah, that's not that's a really good point. It is, yeah. It's you know what I was just thinking, Drew. You're you're much more uh, knowledgeable in this aspect. Have they just stop right there. Stop right there. Put a period on that sentence. I know. I was like halfway through and I'm like, I'm going to regret this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have they ever remade uh, Gone with the Wind? Oh, my gosh. Because um... I like obviously like that was to, still to date, like one of the highest grossing films of all time and, and mm -hmm. important. Adjusted for inflation, yeah, that's that's yeah. that's true. I mean, the story has been kind of done in the same way that like all of Shakespeare's plays have been yeah. redone, but I don't think there's ever been like a straight uh, up. Like, I don't want to say there's never been because then we'll get that one email from the one person who knows for sure that there was one. Um, so one I'm gonna say I'm not aware because like I know they remade Ben Hur. Uh, oh, tragically, or and that flopped pretty bad. So I just. I don't see anything good ever coming out of rebooting the original trilogy. So it's really tough. I mean, anytime you're talking about remaking something is very, very dangerous and it, and it requires a studio that trusts its filmmakers. I mean, the best example you can probably look to is true grit by the Coen brothers. I mean, they remade a John Wayne movie for crying out loud. That takes some guts, but I tell you what, it's still a really good movie. So it can be done. If we want to give Joel and Ethan Coen brothers some, uh, some freedom in the Star Wars universe, I'd be the first one to sign that petition. I do want more stuff in the original trilogy timeline, though. Really? Because Rogue One and Solo haven't been enough? Oh, wait. Yeah. Let's That's get out of gotten. that timeline. Come on. Like, I love the original <laughs> trilogy, but can we Man, please? Did anyone get whiplash from how fast Brandon turned around on that idea? That was great. That was amazing. God. No, seriously. Like, I don't know. Are you guys caught up on Resistance? Oh, yeah. I am mm. about four or five episodes behind. Okay, so I won't... Because the, the episode that just came out, in my opinion, is the best episode to date. Um, and it's finally taking it in a direction I think we were all kind of hoping the show would eventually go. Nice. But, like, opening up the era around the sequels... Like, as much as I'm excited for Episode Nine, I think part of me is also excited for Episode Nine just because... We can finally tell stories about what's happening around that timeline. You know, what happens in those 30 years, what happened, just all that stuff that we have been craving to know, whether whether you're a person who wants to know about Snoke or what Luke was doing or whatever. Like, once 9 comes out, I feel like we're going to just have floodgates open of, like, creatives coming in and saying, we want to make this story, we want to make that story, and I think that's really exciting. And I well, sure hope so. To be fair, I, th I think that's exactly what we're going to be getting, um, not necessarily through the books that we know of yet, but we've already got the Mandalorian schedule. Yes. That is a very good point. Very excited about that announcement Gosh. the other day about the cast. Oh, Everything man. they say about this show, it just makes me more excited for it. Yeah. And tangentially related to the Star Wars universe, but in that Marvel-Disney issue of now, like, 
Netflix has lost the rights basically to a couple of their their flagship character shows like Daredevil, and Iron Fist, and Luke Cage, and it looks like they're probably going to lose Jessica Jones and The Punisher in the next year. And the prevailing thought is that they're going to move these to the Disney streaming service. And mm-hmm. and it seemed like, you know, my my general fear was that when they do that, they're going to drop the intensity of those shows from the basically hard R style that they've had on Netflix and really enjoyed and thrived there. But now, if you've got this show, The Mandalorian, with guys like Werner Herzog, who Uh is never going to do anything PG-rated in his life, that gives me a little bit of hope for all of these projects to say maybe there is going to be something a little bit more intense, a little bit more... um, you know, a little bit more like Daredevil in the Star Wars universe. Can you imagine the Mandalorian smashing somebody's head in with, you know, a speeder door a la the Kingpin? I mean, this is going to be great. I'm super excited now. Well, I, I, I think let's let's take two points away from that is Disney owns Marvel. Marvel owns Punisher. And we saw how absolutely gruesome the first series of Punisher was on Netflix. Yeah, absolutely. So and, and I think it was that was incredibly well received. Right. Mm-hmm. So they are not going to lick a gift horse in the mouth. So they're not going to drop that down to be a PG show. And in contrast, DC with their new streaming service has gone really gritty with Titans. Mm -hmm. Disney can't let DC one up them. Well, you're, you're not wrong about that, but I think (laughs) Disney's history would show that they've been, they have been so reluctant to go in the direction of ultra violence. Like the Punisher and Daredevil and those guys thrived, I think, because of the Netflix platform. It wasn't that something be. that you never saw the Disney logo on those particular things. And I think there's a reason for that. I mean, prior to these kinds of contexts, the most intense series that Disney had been a part of was probably the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Now, the Marvel movies are starting to push that envelope a little bit with some of the Mm -hmm. language, but they don't have the blood and guts that even the Pirates movies started out with. I mean, you had literal guys who were skeletons and eyeballs falling out of heads and things, and that's as intense as they got. Marvel doesn't want to be one-upped by DC. I agree, and it's mm. never gonna happen. <laughs> Let's be honest. Absolutely. So, to be fair, that's true. <laughs> do, does it really take though? Like, does it take blood and guts to make a show gritty? You know, like, can you have an old western style? You know, because that's what it feels like. The Mandalorian is gonna be is is a lone gunslinger. You know, western style show. Mm-hmm. You can have that. I feel like with implied, you, you know, implied violence, like. Yeah, you're not wrong about that, but I think part of, like, the violence is kind of the physical depiction of the mental state of a lot of the characters, and I know this isn't the Netflix conversation podcast, but, I mean, Daredevil deals with some pretty significant topics, like... You know, a man who loses his faith and believes that his he that God has turned his back on him, and he has this violent reaction to that. And where we know Star Wars isn't afraid to talk about philosophical and theological issues like the Clone Wars uh, cartoons dealt with, but the way in which those two things are handled couldn't possibly be more different. I mean, you're talking about the company that just released 60 second long animated clips of movies that have been around for 50 almost 50 years now. These are not the same kind of. They're not going to put that. Next to the hallway sequences from Daredevil, it, it just I, the cognitive dissonance between those two things couldn't be more extreme. Now, would I like to see them do that? Absolutely. 
Do I expect them to do that? Not really. I don't think you're going to see the same level of things in The Mandalorian that you see in the Netflix Marvel series. But does this increase the likelihood that it's going to be more intense? I think it does. You've got some serious talent in front of and behind the camera that I think is going to want those kinds of things to tell the types of stories that they want to tell. So the question is going to be, is Disney going to allow them that kind of freedom or is it going to feel like, you know, the PG-13 version of something that we would love to have seen the director's cut? Which, now that I say that out loud, if we could get a director's cut on Blu-ray of all the things, I'd be fine with that, too. <laughs> I would take Werner Herzog's Mandalorian unrated, you know, four-disc-long epic thing. I'd love that. My thing is... Sign me up. I can only... Like, I, I haven't even watched the third season of Daredevil. I need to watch it. But Oh, my gosh. It's the best one. I, I can't binge watch that. Like, right? Like, when I would stay... And watch it like during the summer, and I'd watch like four episodes in a day. I would just notice like, oh my god, I'm like depressed. Like it, it's not a very yes. uplifting <laughs> show, and I had to take breaks from it. And I just like selfishly, I'm like, I want to watch all of the Mandalorian in one day. So yeah. I don't know. It's if going have... to be interesting. It's definitely mm. going to be interesting. I definitely think this is going to be the darker show that ever you know that everybody's been asking for. But yeah, how dark definitely remains the question. But keep I, in mind, they've also got the Cassian Andor series that's coming too. That could be kind yeah. of a bridge between those yeah. two extremes. So you've got, you know, they'll have the Clone Wars season seven, Cassian Andor and the Mandalorian. And I think that's your scale of kid-friendly, less kid-friendly, not kid-friendly. That's kind of what I would expect. And, and this is their opportunity to start to explore again, kind of, here's a bunch of new properties. Let's go explore what works and diversify. So it's not right. just, hey, here's the G-rated Disney version of everything. We're not going to water it down. But they do have this distinct opportunity, like you said, with both Cassian Andor and Mandalorian. I mean, Mandalorian looks like it's going to be a little bit more of a Western-style thing. So it doesn't have to be blood and guts, but it's going to be grittier. You know, PG-13, maybe. Warner Herzog. Um, <laughs> Cassie Andor, if you take this, the, the styles and the themes from Rogue One, it has to have some pretty deep and potentially dark themes to progress Cassian to the point that we saw him, you know, in those first scenes of Rogue One where he's, you know, he, he he's shooting yeah, his, his, his CI. Yeah. yeah. So that, there's that... I don't want mindless blood and guts. I feel like there's a oh, lot of shows out yeah. there that we're going to just put a lot of blood and guts on there because it's blood and guts and that's what people want to see, right? And it doesn't enhance the story. It's kind of it's kind of like how I feel about comedians. There's some comedians out there that like cuss every other word. And I just don't find that funny, not because I have a problem with cussing because if you've ever heard me not on a podcast, uh, but it just takes away from the joke that they're making because it it doesn't add anything. They're just using foul language for the sake of using foul language. They're not adding yeah. anything to the joke that they're telling, right? And that's how I look at, you know, blood and guts and, you know, sexually explicit scenes and stuff like that. Like, I'm not saying, like, we can't have them, but just randomly having, you know, one guy's head explode from a blaster just so you can have a guy's head explode doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So <laughs> if, it, if it fit, like, this is the, the biggest cop-out of all time, if it fits the you know story, then 
but really like because we don't know much about exactly what this story is going to be and we have you know actors and producers who have made such a plethora of things you know john favreau has shown he can kind of go in any direction and excel so god 2019 guys 2019 is going to be the best year ever it will be good it, it, the, when that first trailer for The Mandalorian drops, that's going to be what I think tells us what we want to know the most. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You know something I want to know? <laughs> what do you want to know, Brandon? I want to know what Steve has in those Amazon packages we were talking about before we came on oh, the show. Should, should I go investigate? You might want to. Okay, talk amongst yourselves for a moment. I'm going to go get the packages. We're going to take a break while Steve goes to get his package. We're going to toss it over to Devin from Unmistakably Star Wars, and we will be right back after this. Hey, Clashing Sabres listeners. I hope you're enjoying this great podcast. This is Devin Cleffer from Outer Rim Originals, your online source for limited edition Star Wars artwork from officially licensed Disney and Topps artists. Each Outer Rim original artwork has the industry's lowest print run of only 45 prints. All limited edition pieces from Outer Rim Originals are printed on archival quality Z-Clay paper, are hand-numbered, signed by the artist, and include a certificate of authenticity from Outer Rim Originals. And because you're a listener of this podcast, Outer Rim Originals is offering you the opportunity to purchase a limited edition signed print with 10% off of your order. Simply head to OuterRimOriginals.com and enter the discount code CLASHINGSABERS, the number 10. That's CLASHINGSABERS10. Then get ready to be the envy of the galaxy with a limited edition signed print from Outer Rim Originals. Remember, OuterRimOriginals.com, discount code ClashingSabers10. That's OuterRimOriginals.com, discount code ClashingSabers10. Now, back to the podcast. Yeah, I don't. Now, one of these is something I ordered, so I don't know which is which. <laughs> what? Yes, that's I know. That's, that's part of the fun. It's the Russian roulette. I have a bad feeling about this. No, no, Brandon, I think what he's trying to very gently tell you is he doesn't want to tell you what's in the package he ordered. What's in the box? I think you no, need to pick up what he is putting down. We need to open both of them. No, 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 no. This is okay. live audio, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not cutting this from the from the podcast. This no, is that's fine. And, and, and the mm-hmm. item I ordered is Star Wars, so it's actually relevant. Okay. Well, hopefully, yeah. hopefully it's not – hopefully what's in both boxes is not the same thing. And right. now for your listening enjoyment, we have an audio description of Steve opening packages that you can't actually see. <laughs> but I'm uh, sure it'll be nice enough to post pictures in the Facebook group. So you can follow This is making for great audio. <laughs> We're professionals here, ladies mm. and gentlemen, in every sense of the word. All right. Uh, can we... you narrate for us for what you're doing? Do you... I, can, I can absolutely give step by step here. Please. Um, okay, pick a number, one or two. 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 Why? 
Package number two. Okay, we're starting with package number two. Oh man, it's intense. I, I know. I'll try not to make sure I cut anything that might be in here. Or you know, well, Has anybody seen Seven lately, by the way? <laughs> lately. Okay. All right. Um, this is definitely not from you. <laughs> okay, that's all we need to know. Not that bad. coming, guys. Yeah, no, no. This, this is uh, this is some office supplies for me. So this is not the package you're looking for. Wait, hold on. You promised the Star Wars stuff. Office supplies is not Star Wars. Well, now I'm not. Let's hope this is not a complete bust. Here I am opening the other package. This is a box. This is an actual box. <laughs> Don't you just love the sound of boxes tearing in the morning? Mm. Kind of got that weird, like when you close the freezer door on your refrigerator and it scrapes against the ice, and you're just like, ah! yeah. Now, what's going to be funny is if this is also something I ordered and your box is not here yet. Yeah, that would be great. I probably should um, check to see on my Amazon if it was delivered yet. But you know what? We're going to call on Amazon out. You told me it was going to be delivered today, Amazon, so. The suspense is killing Well, you know, and they, they still have a couple hours within their SLA to deliver. And this box is my box, too. No! <laughs> this is my box. Um, unless you just happen to buy me a um, a replacement light bulb for my dryer. Yes, that's exactly what I got you. Dude. Is it the shape of Yoda's head or something? I don't understand what yes. we're doing here anymore. No, but but beneath that is um, I also bought the Art of Rogue One book for me for Christmas. <laughs> so, like I said, I did promise there was at least some Star Wars in here. And you know what? This book—it's—it's it's a nice, thick, dense book. It's actually—it's actually wrapped in plastic to protect it in shipping. Ooh. I know somebody actually thought about this, so I really appreciate the. Uh... Oh, is it—is this the coffee table book? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, those are, that one's beautiful. Dude, yeah, I've so heard cool. it's stunning. So I was like, okay, I need that one too. <laughs> <laughs> I read Last Jedi in like two days. I literally sat for three hours one day and just read Last Jedi. It was great. Wow. Ah, so you can binge books, but not TV shows. Um, well, the Last Jedi book doesn't have a whole bunch of blood and guts and people's heads exploding, so it's a little more manageable. Well, in um, fairness, there is a porg with a lightsaber through his face. There is. Oh well, yeah. That, that was rough. I did, you know. That was rough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyways, okay, so let's be professionals like we are and. Pretend that we haven't opened presents that weren't there yet and jump into Obi-Wan Kenobi. So generally, just overall, I just wanted to start with this question. And Drew, you, you take this one first. Hooray. What makes, Obi-Wan, what makes Obi-Wan Kenobi such a compelling character? What makes him somebody that so many people are just craving more Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan? Hmm. You know, what's interesting about that question is it posits two things have to be true. First, that number one, he is compelling character. Number two, that people are craving more and more. But I just figured I'd point that out. Um, I think that what the reason that his character has kind of endured for so long is the way he was introduced. It's kind of that mentor character for Luke. It seems to me like that 
these kind of grand storytelling adventures like the Star Wars saga and and things similar to it really thrive when they meet those kind of archetypal characters and 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 Obi-Wan's mentor role is is pretty classic. You know, he's in the same vein as guys like Dumbledore and the old guy from Jurassic Park whose name I can't remember. But it's that kind of the the mentor who teaches the young lad and thus the audience the rules of the road. And I like that in his character. He does such a good job. Alec Guinness, one of the I think he's the only person in the Star Wars universe to be nominated for an acting role. Um, I'm doing a quick Rolodex check and I feel like that's accurate, but you never really know. So I feel like that's kind of what, what did it is that he he was somebody who was warm and inviting, took Luke in and really gave him the opportunity to thrive as his own character, which is really what the audience wants at the same time. You know, it's kind of that universal feeling of we're all destined for just a little bit more. And Kenobi is the one that gives that op opportunity to Luke in order to find his place in the galaxy at large. So, Steve, Obi-Wan is your Brandon? favorite character, right? Oh, mm, love me some DJ O-Dub. <laughs> so what is it that, about Obi-Wan that, I mean, we've got 40 years worth of characters um, and so many amazing characters. What is it that brings Obi-Wan to the top for you? I, I think there's two aspects. I think when he's first introduced, he's that crazy old wizard, right? And that image that he portrays both through the dialogue and through his acting and, and, and the visuals, for some reason, really lets me identify him almost like a Merlin character. Mm. Very mysterious, very wise, very powerful. People are, you know, have come all the way across the galaxy seeking his help, trying to find him to please come save the universe for us. And that that mystique about him is for me is compelling. And then over over the last forty years, as we've flushed out more and more of his background, as we've introduced you and McGregor, and and seen him grow as a character, as it were, he he is portrayed. Oh, and and people are going to at me over this, but he's almost shown as like an ideal Jedi if that makes sense he's he's so well balanced like you it's hard to point out any flagrant character flaws with him like he's just he's so well balanced he you know even even though he was trained under Qui-Gon he's he's much more balanced than Qui-Gon he's just as blind as the other Jedi don't get me wrong but yeah He's, he's so well-trained, he's methodical, he's diplomatic, he's a good fighter when he needs to be. Like, he's got all the all the best traits of the Jedi. And so it's, you know, it's kind of up there on the perch, up there on the pedestal, as maybe he's a little bit of a role model that way. Well, and I think he is kind of at certain points both who we are and who we want to be, right? Like, both yeah. the and That's the, the wise mentor... Um, the, the the teacher, but at the same time, we see him as the flawed student. We see him as the teacher who's not quite ready. Um, and I, I think at some point or another, we're all Obi-Wan, um, you know, mm. because we all take on those roles, whether it's like a formal, like it's your profession, like being a teacher is for me, or you're just, you know, mentoring somebody or, you know, you're part of uh, leading youth groups like Drew does. Like there's lots of different ways that that 
comes to fruition, but I think all of us can agree that the first few times you do lead a group or lead a person, you just feel completely out of sorts. Um, I know, like, when I first started teaching, I had, like, zero experience, and literally the entire first semester was just me trying to make sure I sent home the same number of kids that came in that morning. Like, <laughs> didn't even have to be the same children. 25 came in, 25 left my room. I did my job, right? And hey, small victories. Exactly. And, you know, now, of course, it, I mean, that's being hyperbolic, but, of course, now it's really, really different because I'm able to reflect more on the mistakes I've made in the past and things like that, and I think that's when we look at the the overall story of obi-wan that's kind of what we get is you you were talking about balance steve and i i think it's not that he is always balanced it's that he always finds balance he when yes. he makes a mistake he's able to get back to that center um and, and fall back on his beliefs so drew i want to throw it over to you because this was one of the questions i had been thinking on and and Steve mentioned this, he's kind of the ideal Jedi. Do you think Obi-Wan is the ideal Jedi? Is he the pinnacle of Jedi-dom? Um, I think he's more, and this might be semantic, but that's kind of what we do here. I think he's the idealized Jedi rather mm -hmm. than the ideal Jedi. I think that he's held up and seen as the standard, but I don't know that that's quite the right thing to do. Um, and this is where it gets tough for me because I feel like they're, I, in my mind, I want to separate the A New Hope Obi-Wan Kenobi from the prequel trilogy Obi-Wan Kenobi. Because when you look at A New Hope, that's kind of what everybody wants to be. Like the portrayal of the character, you see it through Luke's eyes. So Luke is seeing the perfect kind of mentor that he wants to have. He wants... He's, it's the father figure he never had, and so it's going to be perfect in his eyes. And that's why when we look at that character, it's hard to identify those kinds of flaws. He's patient. He's kind. He's warm. He's strong. He's defiant when he needs to be. He stands up against the in the face of evil and is unafraid to sacrifice himself for the greater good, qualities in which the average human being would probably like to exemplify. When we start to see how he got there in the prequels, it, it kind of pulls away that idealized mask, and we start to see how he was raised in a wartime effort. He gets his battlefield. His experience is almost exclusively on the battlefield. That's where he learned to lead. That's where he learned to train. It's how he learned to become who he was, and so there's a gap between the fall of Anakin and the rise of Darth Vader and where we find Obi-Wan on Tatooine where he has learned from his mistakes. And honestly, that's probably the more interesting character development. And we don't get that on screen. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit frustrating because <laughs> I'd will... like to see that. Yeah, and I, I think we get that in the, the Kenobi novel did a really good job of kind of walking through those issues where you see him deal with his failures and he has to rely on the help of his own master and he, he is unable to find the answers within himself. He can only find them outside of himself. And, and that's really the key lesson there is you can't say you can't help yourself if yourself sucks. And I think that's lost if you don't have that connection between the end of Revenge of the Sith and the beginning of A New Hope. So that's kind of the separation there is a tough one for me to balance because I feel like the real lessons that help the most and would be 
is kind of what you want people to take away from his story is not something that you're you really get. Well, and we get a little bit of that in the uh, like you said in the Kenobi novel, but of course you know not canon. So you know whatever you take that for what yeah by like a month it missed that yeah. cutoff date by like weeks and that's just I, not fair <laughs> i think there's i think there's certain books that we kind of just consider canon even though they're not until it's canon. contradicted there's no yeah. reason not to um exactly but i i want to come back to that era of obi-wan later because you you brought up the prequels and the fact that he was kind of rushed into the situation and and i think that it's really important because Obi-Wan is kind of a microcosm of the problem with the Jedi overall, right? Like, he yes. is, he, yes, he's the best version of them. Yes, he's out there doing good. Yes, he's giving it the best he, he's got. But also, he's thrust in this situation that he's not ready for. And I don't think he's even aware that he's not ready. Um, and, and I think that's really important because he has this very my way or the highway attitude with Anakin. And so when Anakin starts to push back against that, he doesn't really know what to do because Qui-Gon, I don't feel like ever really pushed back on Obi-Wan. I think he, he kind of let, he Ooh. guided Obi-Wan, but he let Obi-Wan make the mistakes. You know, he let Obi-Wan say his piece and then learn through the actions. Um, and, and I don't think that, I, I think it's kind of a given that Obi-Wan wasn't ready for training Anakin and I think you, the biggest place that you can see that is with the situation with Satine I think I, I really really believe if he had opened up about Satine to Anakin earlier and shown him not bring up Padme not call him out on that but just show them show him that he understands what he's going through that's a game changer I think that's really hard to do because if if you're in the position of being a mentor like that bringing opening well this could be a whole podcast itself opening yourself to that kind of vulnerability where you're trying to set an example that's higher can it can be really dangerous to do and you know i'll go back and say you're right i don't think obi-wan was necessarily ready to train anakin that said Per the rules of the Jedi Order and the lore and everything, once you're promoted to Knight, it is now your expectation to pass on what you have learned, but to take yeah. a Padawan. So unless Qui-Gon rushed Obi-Wan's training, which I, I don't see any evidence of per se, although you could argue the point that, you know, he made the point to the council just for the point of having room to train Anakin himself, Qui-Gon that is. Um, I, it, some of this goes back to, and, and I'm looping subjects here, but the idea of you're never sure you're ready when you try something out. I think of fatherhood, I, you know, you, your, your yeah. story about being a teacher, everybody, when they first become a father or a mother goes through this questioning of, Oh, I don't think I'm ready. I don't, I don't think I'm there yet, but it's amazing how, how many people do a fantastic job. It's kind of to the point of. If you wait till you think you're ready, you'll you'll miss the moment. Yeah, especially when you're talking about something that severe, there is no ready. <laughs> right, There's right. no amount of planning you can do that will pre prepare you for the way things change. And I think, I think you're 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 close to it. I, I would mostly agree with with that idea. I think 
that Brandon's point is probably stronger because because of the relationship Obi-Wan and Anakin had at that time during the Clone Wars, when you're able to build a bond with somebody else in that kind of mentor-mentee relationship, when the mentor is able to open up about their failures and, and say, man, I really bungled this or I screwed this up or I'd love to have another chance at this, it, it, it inevitably leads to, and I'll say usually, one of two conclusions. Either number one, the, the student... Um, becomes very uncomfortable and the relationship is broken or mm. the relationship is strengthened because yep. their student responds in kind. And I feel like they would have been at that relationship where Anakin would have done that. I mean, he would have probably responded much more positively and said, you know what? I, 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 I understand that. And, and to show that a mentor <laughs> continues to learn themselves is another one of the lessons that you can pass on to your students. It's kind of like mm. if you want to go to The Last Jedi, where failure is the greatest teacher. I mean, Luke, the the Luke Skywalker, continued to fail even t into his, his old age and had to have his own master come back and wrap him on the knuckles a few times himself. <laughs> and I think... Obi-Wan's issue at his in his training of Anakin at the very beginning is that uh, Obi-Wan is very rigid in his in his adherence to the rules of the Jedi Order because he saw in Qui-Gon what the opposite would do to you. You know, if you think back to the Phantom Menace where mm -hmm. he says you'd be on the council if you would just listen to the, what the rest of them say. You know, Obi-Wan is telling us that he views loyalty to the Jedi Order greater than how Qui-Gon views loyalty to the Force. It's kind of a, mm -hmm. and that's I kind of think the difference. And Anakin is the result of that, that inability to reconcile those two things. That's kind of the problem well, with Obi-Wan's training. And that almost explains to you why he could not open up to Anakin about Absolutely. his feelings for Satine. Absolutely, he couldn't. He he couldn't admit that he had actually fallen into some contradiction against the rules of the Jedi order because mm -hmm. it, he was, I, I can absolutely sympathize that because it, it makes you feel like you'd be exposing yourself as a fraud. And right. then when that happens, he, he would only see failure as a result of that. However, it's the opposite. He keeps that to himself and thus endangers the relationship he could have strengthened. Yep. So then is the, fa is Obi-Wan, are Obi-Wan's failings his own or, are they more of the system? I think it's, it's, it, uh, yes, they're, they're, they're his own, but they exemplify the failings of the Jedi Order. I would argue. Next question. <laughs> All right, there's the definitive answer. I mean, yeah, he's not wrong. I mean, it's like, the answer yeah. is yes. <laughs> yeah, I think the Jedi were just so lost at that point, and, like, everything yeah. was so detached and clinical that it really just, it would have been next to impossible to succeed. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I think if you Yoda know, couldn't succeed in that situation... The, you know the one character from the... You know the one character from the prequel era Jedi Order who was willing to change his own particular opinions on things? Yaddle. Mace Windu. That's a lie. You're no, lying. is it? He had some opinions. Hey, he did, but he says in Revenge of the Sith that if the pa if Chancellor Palpatine is who Anakin says he is, then he will have gained his trust. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, Boom! I don't know about that. I don't know about Next that. Next question. <laughs> I don't. Th I don't <laughs> think. I don't think. We're not going to get into Mace Windu. Um, Mace Windu is the worst. So, 
moving more towards the kind of that in-between um, of Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, that 19 years, we know mm-hmm. that Obi-Wan was communing with Qui-Gon. We know that he was on Tatooine. As far as we know, he stayed on Tatooine. So what do you guys think happened in those 19 years? What, what do you think happened during his training with Qui-Gon? Um, did he do any grand Jedi stuff? That kind of thing. Grand Jedi stuff. Grand Jedi stuff. You know, it's official. I guess it's filmed by Wes Anderson. Podcast. Which chapter of the Jedi path is that defined in? That, I'm just curious. I want to look it up. It's uh, the third and a half chapter. Third and a half. Okay, yes. I get look that up. Call you out on it. You have to you have to scan a little QR code and it'll take you to a website. I promise. Because Jedi are all about the QR code. They're very technical. <laughs> Did it just become 2008 again? <laughs> 2008 was a great time. I was still was in it? college and didn't have bills to pay. You were in college. I thought you were just getting out of elementary then. <laughs> Young lad. I mean, I like. But- Let's be honest. It's pretty much the same thing for me. Um, (laughs) So, okay. So, Qui-Gon. Training with Qui-Gon on Tatooine. How do you think that went? And go. Hmm. Is there a section in in, um, certain point of view on this as well? There's there's the The Master and Apprentice story which is by Claudia Gray who coincidentally is writing Master and Apprentice coming out next year Um, and in that moment which is far and above the best thing in that book uh, he actually sees Qui-Gon's force ghost um, to an extent it's not a full manifestation but I think kind of the the message is Obi-Wan's belief and hope in that moment is so strong that it brings Qui-Gon kind of to light to where he can see him. And, and it's in that moment right after Luke goes off to uh, the homestead after they see the sand crawler and Qui-Gon's kind of giving him some last words of advice to kind of trust in the Force and, and, and those kind of things that, you know, he, he had been telling him when he was younger, but he was too hard-headed and committed to the dogmatic ways of the Jedi to, you know, like we talked about earlier. Yeah. And I think we see that change in the training with how Obi-Wan is in A New Hope. If you look at, at the training he gives in A New Hope uh, versus the training he gives Anakin, everything in A New Hope focuses on the Force. Like, everything is centered around communing with the Force. Even training Luke with the lightsaber is centered around trusting the Force. You know, he's yeah. never asking, excuse me, he's never asking Luke to do any mind-boggling things. Luke ends up doing these things. He ends up blowing up the Death Star, but he ends up doing it because of his trust in the Force, whereas Anakin's training, I feel, kind of was more on, like, hey, we're going to be generals now, and this is how we act in a wartime. We see a lot of that in the Clone Wars, um, and it's not so much in, in a trust-the-Force kind of way. So I... I think that's kind of what that 19 years was centered around. So, Drew, you want to go off of that? <laughs> um, sure. Um, I'm kind of I'm a bit mind boggled by so by the timeline, because does does that indicate that 
in between the time Luke left Obi-Wan's hut, ran home, discovered that his home had been burned to the ground, and then came back to Obi-Wan. In that amount of time, is that when Obi-Wan unlocked the secrets of the Force ghostiness and was able to then use that uh, on the Death Star? No, no, no. I... I think that, I mean, my, there's nothing saying that this is completely true, but my personal idea is that he learned that in some other way. We saw you okay. kind of open those up with the, the Jedi priestesses um, in Season 6 of the Clone Wars. No, I think the, the reason that Qui-Gon, because we know Qui-Gon was never able to fully manifest himself we see the vision in mortis but that's because it's it's mortis it's the center of the force and i think that obi-wan in that moment he knows luke's gonna come Mm. back he knows luke's gonna want to become a jedi he finally has hope again that maybe the galaxy can become uh what it is supposed to be and that that hope and that belief is so strong that it causes qui-gon to be able to manifest because if you look at obi-wan's force ghost you know through the original trilogy he starts out as just a voice in empire he's kind of pale and then return of the jedi he's much clearer and i think that attaches to luke's personal belief and trust in the force so i think basically my thesis is that the the individual who's seeing the force ghost their level of trust in the force is and their attachment to it and their belief in the good that the force can provide is what helps the force ghost manifest christmas Hmm. spirit kind of thing that's i uh, that's an interesting application of the theory and i kind of i kind of like that i think that it uh, it makes some logical sense which is strange to admit and cut all right we've got this one in the wrap guys we're gonna call it right there (laughs) (laughs) So, Steve, what do you think? What do you think happened during those years on Tatooine? (laughs) Kenobi Kenobi novel aside, besides the fact that there was clearly lots of Jawa juice. Lots. Well, you know, he he was a professional. He could handle it. Do we think Um, Jawa juice is a Jawa condensed into juice? Kind of like Girl Scout cookies? Are made of Girl Scouts, right? Oh man! Didn't you ever see Adam's Family? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You got it. Okay, moving on. So, that's right. <laughs> I, I, un, until or unless there there's any new stories to shed light, I think it was a very monastic lifestyle. I think. You know, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, Yoda sends Obi-Wan off to keep watch over Luke and has that line, you know, basically, I've got some homework, some things for you to study while you're, you know, off in the (laughs) desert having drinks with the Jawas. So that, you know, that's the reference to learning to commune with the Force. And there might be something to... Brandon's point about your belief in the force helps manifest a force go stronger for you kind of thing. It's the, the, the connection to the force, which can, you know, in some sense be rooted in your faith in the force and your trust in the force and your belief in the force. Um, he, he had 19 years to commune with the force, to learn, to meditate 
keep an eye on Luke. You know, clearly there became a bad relationship between him and Klieg, one of my other favorite characters. Um, I'm waiting for Klieg, a Star Wars story. Um, but there, <laughs> you know, but, that. right? The unannounced 2020 movie. That, obviously, know. obviously. And um, so, you know, there's a story as to how the relationship between Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru broke down with Obi-Wan. They knew the truth about Obi-Wan. They knew the truth about Anakin. So there is some more storytelling there to be told, but he clearly had to kind of keep his distance, but maintain his mission, do so very quietly. Yeah, there's probably very little chance of Vader himself coming to Tatooine because, you know, sand... But you <laughs> still got to keep a low profile. You don't want to get noticed, which, okay, let's be fair, running around in, in a Jedi outfit for 20 years, kind of... Probably not the best idea. Kind of throws some shade on, on whether or not you're achieving your mission or not, but oh, fine, man. creative license, I'll just let that go. Um, so I, I think it was a very, it was almost a very lonely, quiet underrated existence he would you know he's meditating every day keeping in practice doing the things going out and chasing off the the sand people i, I think it was probably pretty boring well, but very I, deep at the same time yeah i tend to agree with you on on that i as much as i want a kenobi story and a kenobi movie just because it's it's obi-wan of course you know i would right. take obi-wan I kind of like, and we touched on this in the Exile show a little bit, I like the idea that he was there for those 19 years learning from his mistakes, much like Yoda was on Dagobah. And I, and I don't, if we get a story about that time period, I don't want it to go off of Tatooine. I want it to stay on Tatooine. And I, I do don't, too. Um, but I think, I, I know the Kenobi book, and I believe in at least one or two of the issues of the comics where Luke is looking at Ben's journal, he talks about, you know, what do, what does a Jedi do when a Jedi is no longer a Jedi, right? Like, the mm. the entire existence that he had has been taken down. The Jedi Order has fallen. They literally had the dark side sitting right in front of them and had no idea. And so he realizes, like, the way the Jedi were obviously didn't work. Something has to change. And... I think we see that when we get to Luke. The two, Luke's mm. two biggest victories both are nonviolent. His victory at the on the Death Star 2 when he throws away his lightsaber and his mm -hmm. victory at the end of The Last Jedi. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super important because, again, it goes back to Obi-Wan and, you know, the way that he trained him when he was present. Um, mm -hmm. I think... It gets kind of muddied when you look at Return of the Jedi and Obi-Wan's basically like, yo, you got to go kill your dad. Well, um, and, and don't I, forget that the first time that, that Luke really clicks into the teaching that he hears from Obi-Wan's voice is to throw some proton torpedoes down the exhaust shaft and blow up the Death Star. Right. So, so don't, don't so, forget the genocide part of things. So that's that, that leads perfectly into the question I wanted to talk about, which is, was Obi-Wan successful in training Luke? Was his training of Luke successful? Or is it basically all Yoda? Oh, gosh. Oh. 
I, I don't think it's mutually exclusive. I think it's both. So do you think that Kenobi would have been successful if Yoda were not there? If Obi-Wan was the only Jedi that survived, do you think we get the same Luke Skywalker? Without Yoda? Without Yoda. No. And and Even if, and, even if and, Ben lived. That, that's like saying, would I be the same person if I had met not met Brandon? Well, no, of course not. Aw, you're so sweet. Aw. Um, no, I mean, both of them... Yoda directly, physically trained the guy and taught him some very important lessons. So would Luke have been the same Luke without Yoda? Absolutely not. Um, would Would Luke have been the same Luke if he had been taught by Qui-Gon instead of Obi-Wan? No, absolutely not. Oh, so there's they, an alternative mm, fiction I'd like to see. Mm, um, so, so necessarily, but it almost gets back to, you know, I'm curious, back to the premise of the question, is Luke, you kind of said Luke being successful. Well, how do you define success? Because some might say he failed. He, you know, in, in exile, Luke thought he failed to, to reestablish the Jedi Order. But did he fail? Was he successful? He he certainly became a great Jedi. Is that the extent of success here? Um, mm. I, I think they both, had very strong, positive, successful influence on Luke becoming what he became. Flaws and all. I like your question of how do we define yeah. success? That's a yeah. good one. And I think the the way I would define it for their particular relationship is the ability for Luke to make his own decisions and make them completely. And by completely, I would say that he's able to understand why he's made a, you know, why he's made that decision that he has, and is able to, if 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 somebody were there to ask him why, he'd be able to defend himself. For example, you know, Brandon's favorite scene is where Luke throws away his lightsaber uh, on the second Death Star, and I think that's kind of the culmination. He's able to make a decision in order to affect a certain outcome because he believes in a certain thing. And he's able to kind of explain that in that expository speech. He mm -hmm. says, I am a Jedi like my father before me. And I think that's kind of, you know, Luke is able to get to that point because of the training that Obi-Wan, because again, when he has just Obi-Wan, he's following instructions for the entirety mm -hmm. of A New Hope. He's following instructions. Um, and even at the beginning of Empire, he says, you will go to the Dagobah system. So what does he do? He picks up, packs up, fights a little bit, and then runs off to Dagobah. So until he gets to Yoda, he's not actually making his own decisions. Granted, his decision that he makes is to run off to Cloud City. But, I mean, that's kind of, you know, you in a lot of those mentor-mentee relationships, there comes a time when the student makes a decision that the mentor disagrees with, and the student has to do it anyway because it's just the right thing for them to do. And for the, the student to be trusted enough to make that decision is a strong indicator of, the, of that relationship. And both the Jedi Masters say, we'll be here when you get back. And I think that's a positive thing. So if, if that's the definition of success that I would use, I'd say then, yeah, it is. I'd say both teachers were relatively successful. Well, and I think yeah. them letting Luke go is very different from how they handled Anakin. Anakin was very exactly. Much like, I mean, that no, it you're, demonstrates you're not allowed to do this. Absolutely not. No way. Yeah, and... think about like that scene towards the end of Attack of the Clones where Obi Wan's yelling at him, "You will be expelled from the Jedi Order," yeah. and he's like, "I don't care." Oh, so good. I love Attack of the Clones. Anyways, oh, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> 
But uh, uh, I'm gonna go throw up. I'll be back. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, definitely the way that he trained Anakin had a big impact on the way that he trained Luke. I think that there mm. was a lot of there were a lot of lessons there for him to learn. Um, yeah. Particularly, like like I said, everything becoming much more force centric. The force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. Which is how we would see Luke train Rey in The Last Jedi. And I know that, like, of course, we're missing those ten years in between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, which we need to get some stories from. But there's, there's certainly a difference there. And... I think it's really interesting, like, how do you redefine success? Because I think for Obi-Wan, that has to change also. Um, because for him, success is, you know, winning the war. Both times, essentially. Um, mm. you know, because wow, he that's does, a good point. He does tell Luke, like, go off and kill your father, right? Go off, you, you have to kill Darth Vader. The Empire has already won. And then Luke finds another way... And we get that scene at the end with the Force Ghost, and everybody's happy. And I, I, I like to believe that to some extent, Obi Wan's smile there is not just a smile of like he got his friend back and the war is over, but that you know we are what they grow beyond. And Luke has now grown beyond what Obi Wan could have ever been able to do because of the system that he was raised in and, and those certain sets of beliefs that are just hard to to get around right like you can look at a somebody who grows up in a very fundamentalist extreme um side of of a religion right and and if they stay there they continue to become extremely extreme and a lot of them if they leave will swing very much to the other side and it takes a long time for them to eventually find that middle ground where they're really able to be their best selves and i think that's kind of what we have with obi-wan things are very black and white for him um and i think that force ghost smile at the end of return of the jedi is very much like okay we are what they grow beyond and i hope we see something like that with luke i hope that idea comes back around when we get to episode nine because i i think like you guys mentioned that luke's level of success would have been very different if obi-wan or yoda hadn't been in his life you know to to whatever extent that they were so we know that ray's force back in force awakens has obi-wan's voice in it and it's all uh alec guinness you know they cut from mm -hmm. from uh cut scenes of a new hope what connection if any do you think he has to the pre the excuse me the sequel trilogy not like is ray a kenobi because come on we're we're past that guys let's all move on but how do you think that he's influenced what we're getting in the sequel trilogy, Steve? I, I'm not reading anything deeper into that other than Ray's story connects across this entire saga. I go, you know, with, with, with Obi-Wan's voice in there, it goes back to the original starting point of this entire journey, right? At least in earth time and all i all i see is is that's just a connection across all what will be nine movies is it it it, it 
it, it's just a, a, a very subtle piece of connectivity to say that she's part of the story that these last three movies are concluding. I, I think, and I, I've seen nothing to indicate it's more than that because she's not a Kenobi. Um, that's all it is. But it's a nice, very nice JJ subtle thing to provide that connection. And and even, you know, we've heard rumors that in, in episode nine, there might be a connection back to the prequel somehow. So this is just, it's a nice way to kind of put a bow on things and, and keep, you know, some of these strings between these different threads across all nine movies. It's very nice. Did you guys hear, this is completely off topic, but we're going there because you, you talked about episode nine and the connection to the prequels. Kevin Smith just uh, was on, I think it was Good Morning America or, or something like that. Um, and he said, you know, he got to visit the set of episode nine and he got to see somebody give a performance that was, you know, he's seen in these movies before and it was an all time great performance and had him in tears and stuff. Um, yep. Yeah. He said the same you... thing about Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, too. And look how well that was. <laughs> so, yeah, like take it with a grain of salt. But I did kind of want y'all's reaction to that. So there's, I'm there's a huge Ke- I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan. And I think he's fantastic i love his work he's absolutely uh a a treasure um but he's also hyperbolic as all get out i mean yep (laughs) so and and as a as a hardcore fanboy i'm sorry if i got to spend a week on set of episode nine i would be bawling my eyes out too yeah like yeah you'd be be crying on like on the airplane ride there (laughs) and from the taxi ride from the airport it's it's just you know Oh yeah. You never actually so, see any of it. It's just your tears. It's all. Yeah, exactly. Nice. You much. never see anything. So I, you know, not to discredit or or say I don't believe anything he says. I, you know, he is a hardcore fan, and he is he is seriously impressed with what he saw. So that makes me feel good. But that's all I'm going to take from it, because I know what I would say in that case. And, I, and so it, that's all I'm taking from it is he saw some incredible stuff. So I feel. I feel I continue to feel pumped and hyped about the movie. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. So jump back, uh, Drew, to the force vision that Ray has um, in Obi-Wan and just, just generally the entire sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. What impact do you think Obi-Wan has had on the sequel, sequel trilogy and the sequel characters? I think the 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 best opportunity they have to use that kind of connection is is not with Ray at all, but but with Kylo Ren. Because I think there's an opportunity to for him to understand where his name comes from. You know, they named him Ben, which doesn't, you know, for Leia and Han to have come to an agreement, if you presume they came to an agreement on his name, um, to choose Ben, who was more the one who kickstarted Luke's journey than anything else, is kind of a big deal. So I feel like there's an opportunity for him to try and understand where he comes from a little bit further and because he's got this 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 massive um uh adoration of darth vader it would be a great opportunity to learn where vader came from would be and through the teachings of obi-wan kenobi and so if he's able to put those kinds of things together and maybe he understands the difference of how you know anakin turned out the way he did because of the failures of obi-wan kenobi and luke turned out to be the great jedi master that he became because of the successes of his training under the same person i think is is what we get a real chance to develop that so i don't think you know ray is not somebody who's going to be 
terribly interested or affected by the history of Obi-Wan Kenobi because she's already gotten past the point of like the kill your gods stage of, of the hero's journey. You know, she looked for her hero, her father figures in Han and he died. She looked for that in Luke and he let her down uh, tremendously in her eyes. I don't think she's going to be looking for anybody else to, to help her find that place in the galaxy. I think she's going to find it herself. And so the way in which she's going to use that is to help Kylo Ren regain his position in the universe, potentially, you know, ultimately culminating in his death rather than his redemption. But we've talked about that before. So I, d I just don't think Ray is going to be the focal point. She might use that information, but I, I don't really see that affecting her particular journey as much. See, I have this crazy fan theory, and it's completely tinfoil hat, but at the end of uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, he's in... Spoilers. The, yeah, sp spoiler alert for a book that's 20 years old. Um, he, <laughs> he's in the forest with Voldemort, and all of the ghosts of his family in the past um, who've all died, and all his friends who have died throughout the stories are all there, and they circle around him, and... Basically, they give him the, the strength to survive what should be a, a death shot from Voldemort. That's kind of what I envision happening at the end of Episode Nine, in some way, shape, or form. Is we have the Force Ghosts, who you know, whether it's Qui Gon included, which I don't think it would be, but you know, Yoda, Anakin, Obi Wan, Luke, all circled around Rey, um, and. Before that, I should back up. I think I think Kylo Ren is going to die. I think he's going to be redeemed um, in a very Vader fashion and die. But then I think the Force Ghosts will circle around Rey. And very much like Anakin is able to bring Ahsoka back from the dead on Mortis, she brings Kylo, or she, excuse me, she brings Ben back from the dead. And so we get kind of the redemption, the death, and the rebirth in a very literal fashion. Um, that's my crazy fan theory. Probably, not, probably not going to happen, and by probably I mean definitely. But I do <laughs> like the idea of Ray being a part of this this line of heroes, not not being a somebody, you know, not being a Skywalker, not being a Kenobi, but being someone who is important to the story just because of who she is, and I think having all those force ghosts surrounding her in a moment like that where she is you know redeeming someone literally giving birth to a new person um which is you know this is mythology so that's exactly what he would be i think would be really cool because i do think that ray is important but i don't think she's important in the same way that like luke was or anakin was you know, Anakin was created by the Force. Luke was, Luke was important, but Luke was important because he was a Skywalker. If he's not a Skywalker, the story doesn't go the same way. Rey is important just because of who she is as a person. You know, just her natural instincts and character. And so, I think she would be a perfect cap to kind of that entire story. So there, that's what's happening in episode nine, guys. You don't even have to go see it. I want to know why you have you have clearly on purpose left out the most important part. Mm, Where the porgs come back? Yes. More important. 
No, can't be. Clearly what happens is Ray realizes she cannot kill Kylo because that would be wrong and it's against so many things and that's just not the right thing to do. So at the last minute, Ahsoka comes back and she's the <laughs> one that strikes down Kylo. I don't know why you don't talk about this more, Brandon. I'm, I'm shocked. I've, it, it's like the Darth Maul thing in Solo. You know, it kind of runs the whole end of Solo if you know Darth Maul is coming. But I didn't want to let people know, Steve, but it's out there now. So I, I'm just saying. There you go, you people. Know, Spoiler alert. Ahsoka hey, in Episode Nine confirmed, all caps, on YouTube. It would be kind of the most amazing thing ever. I mean, you know how So I many people react. would be like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> Meanwhile, there's Brandon running up and down every aisle in his movie theater. Like, I've just won, you know, the world championship. Screaming like a little Japanese schoolgirl. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyways. So, <laughs> to kind of round us out, I thought I'd, I'd finish this off with a, a kind of light and fun question. A certain point of view. Legit or cop out? Go. Drew, you go first. Oh, man. Just because uh, I knew you would uh, think about it. It's I think it's more retcon than, than <laughs> anything else. Um, I see it as very utilitarian, uh, and I really do not like. And I know we've talked about this before. I do not like how it's been codified in the subsequent novels as a, a tenant of the Jedi Order. That really, that's really bothersome. Yeah, I'm it's with bad. you there. I I, I, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> I no what, bad X stop that. <laughs> I think it's what comes after it that um, is really important. You know, he says you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view, and I think that truths we cling to is really important because we do <sighs> cling to these truths. You know, like we see it in an, in our world today, like every day, like what the point of view that you want to see something from you know your perspective creates your reality um and it's not right but it is and i think being aware of that is is important so i think you're definitely right the the way that it has been used as a oh well it was a certain point of view sorry uh kind of cop out thing is it's overdone you know it's kind of like the it's kind of like the sand memes, you know, with, with Anakin just got overdone for the longest time. I think that it's kind of become that um, kind of situation. But I do think that the idea that we cling to these truths that create our point of view and it, it might not be what's really true is is an important lesson to learn. Mm. Steve, what do, you, what do you think? No, no, I agree. I, you know, it's, it's about, it, it, you know, kind of harkens back to that that saying about wearing rose-colored glasses it is from a certain point of view it depends on what filters you're looking for if if you and you can almost throw it in reverse if you cling to certain views this is what you're going to believe right so it's it is about perception and how you look at things and and almost encouraging having an open mind and discouraging having a having a closed mind. So these are important life lessons and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of thrown together there in kind of a almost cheesy haphazard kind of way of, well, this is how we're just going to retcon this moment and say something about it and, and move on. But there is something deep and important about it that we all have to learn usually the hard way 
in life and it it doesn't really ever go away even even once you learn it you still have to work with it and struggle with it and and continue to to wrestle with it for your entire life so i think it's great to take something as basic as that because there's a lot of times we just forget to talk about these things and you, you sometimes have to remi be reminded about the basic things that you need to keep in mind to so that you can have an open mind and uh, you know in in my own life i've always and maybe this is from star wars who knows but i've always appreciated approaching problems by looking at them from different literally different points of view I, you know, here's a, okay, well, if I do it this way, here's how this might turn out. Now, if I take this approach, ah, maybe something different would happen. So I, I've always carried that with me throughout my whole life. And, and now it makes me think, I'm like, I wonder if that came from, you know, when, when I saw Star Wars, maybe because I was a young child back then. All of those are good lessons and things we can take away as audience members and human beings ourselves. And it would feel a whole lot better if it wasn't done in such a way that a, that Obi-Wan used it as an excuse for him to lie to Luke. Like, if Obi-Wan was trying to teach Luke that lesson based on something Luke had said, that'd be one thing. But Obi-Wan is using it to defend the way he talked to Luke years ago. So he's saying, hey, look, I told you the truth from my point of view. If you heard something different, that's your problem. No, 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 but that's not what happened. Obi-Wan looked him in the eyes and said, Vader betrayed and murdered your father. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's hard to get around from any point of view. So while the message is true, Obi-Wan is using it in that moment as a deflection and as, as, as a shield for his, for the lie that he told. And that's the issue that I have with that particular thing. And now, the reason I, I, can, I have I, a, I have a question. Sure. Brett. Uh, Drew, Brett, Brett, Drew. That's me. Um, uh, Hi, hello. Hey. Um, when when you were a child, did your parents ever tell you that the tooth fairy put the quarter <laughs> under your pillow? I'm just uh, not curious. when I was 19 years old, handed a weapon that could slice people in half with a flick of the wrist and asked to leave my mom and dad. <laughs> How old were you when that happened? <laughs> <laughs> Well played, sir. Well played. I appreciate that. Now, I, you're not wrong. I mean, I understand your implication that sometimes we have to be shielded from the truth and sometimes we are misdirected in one thing. But again, that's a child like that's the way we treat children. And again, if you want to accept that as what Obi-Wan is doing, then he's treating Luke as a child when Luke is not a child. Uh, now, to be fair, I, I recognize all I'm doing is trying to justify this. Oh, that's um, fine. That, that's what makes this fun. <laughs> but 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 to a to a to a large extent, to a certain extent, you can argue it. Luke is being a child in that movie. He exhibits a lot of childlike naivete for reasons. But he's <laughs> he's never you know he's never left home. This is his first time out in the zone. He's learning everything about the big open wild you know big big world out there. He's he's approaching it. From a from a childlike perspective, because he's never been exposed to the larger world. So I mean, again, I'm justifying it, but from a certain point of view. <laughs> from a certain point of view, of course. No, and you're right. You're, he's he's definitely playing that role in the film because it makes him an easier audience surrogate because it's a place we've never seen, um, and we don't know the rules of how the the universe works, and and the character doesn't either, which is one of the reasons that relationship between the two characters is such an easy one for us to latch onto because we're in the same position. 
But again, you're talking about somebody who's 19 years old, who has his dream, he wants to fight the Empire, so he knows what he wants to do. He wants to join the Academy and abandon, and then kind of jump ship, just like his his uh, older friend Biggs did, you know, in, in the previous scenes. So he's got agency all on his own. It might be his first time out. It might be his first time behind the wheel of the Landspeeder and heading to the big city of Mos Eisley. Sure, and I get that. We all have to make those trips at the first time. But you're talking about an extremely significant character defining bit of information as your father was murdered. And that's the kind of the content, you know, Obi-Wan uses that in the, in, in the context of a new hope by itself. If you isolate that film by itself as kind of a galvanizing factor to say, this is why the empire is personal to you because the enforcer of the empire is the one who killed your father. And so that's kind of something that, and then when Luke says, I want to learn the ways of the Jedi and be, and be, and do the same thing. I want to learn the ways of the force and become a Jedi like my father. He's trying to take on that history, but it's built upon, it's predicated upon the murder of his father, which is, it turns out is not entirely accurate. So it's, it's mm -hmm. doing a monumental amount of, of, of injustice to that. And even if you look at the empire strikes back, where in the original script, the, you know, the Lee Brackett draft, which, granted, is bizarre and wacky. In the original draft of that script, there's a scene where Yoda is knighting Luke as a Jedi, and the ghosts of Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi appear in order to confirm that title upon him. So that becomes a difficult circle to square. So all of those things, again... It's kind of the line itself, a certain point of view is used as as kind of a way in which to make it OK. But and you're not wrong about the lessons we can learn about identifying points of view and the 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 truths and lies we tell you that are influenced by those points of view. But again, the way that it's handled in Return of the Jedi, it's it's one in a long list of issues that I think that film has. That's all. That's and true. you're all wrong. You're all you're all just wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. Well, we already know Brandon's going to disagree with you completely. Yes. I mean, it's called mm. clashing sabers. It's not like we're all here. If we're, we're all gonna... just, it's just an hour-long podcast of yes, I think you're right. Uh huh. Yes, you're correct. Also, good. That, yes. That's entertaining. Uh -huh. <laughs> Best hour on radio. Uh, so I think that kind of wraps us up because I don't think we can come to a definitive answer on this. You know, it it's a certain point of view. It is. I'm willing to to see that absolutely. Except that I, the best part of a point, a certain point of view, is the mouse droid story, which I know nobody else likes. But you know, I what? enjoyed that actually. Yes. Why was he yelling at me the whole time? He's not yelling at you. He's talking in capital letters. He's a box on wheels. He's cute. He's he's just a little messenger guy. Don't hate him. You know what we need? We need a re-edit of A New Hope. Here's the special special edition. A New Hope, but on top of the mouse droid is a Porg, <laughs> just riding him all over the Death Star hallways. Can we get that? Let's get that in the animated... Here, here we go. Bring it full circle. In the animated remake of A New Hope, I want a Porg riding on the mouse droid. I'll take anything else. You can ruin the rest of the movie, but give me a Porg sitting on a mouse droid, riding around just with little reins, you know? like he's riding he, on a Yeah, I was, that's what I was going to ask. Is he riding it like his war chariot as he goes into battle? Yeah. Okay, cool. Absolutely. Can the can the mouse droid be force sensitive? Sure, why not? Excellent. I want the porg to be force sensitive. All oh, absolutely. Force sensitive, <laughs> obviously. 
Why do you think they were so sad when Chewie was eating the other Porg? They are connected through the Force. Is there a reading by which we can presume that the Porgs are just manifestation of the Force itself? Mm. Like, they're not found outside of Octo, except for the one that is on the Falcon, conveniently, I mean, when Ray is on the Falcon. There's a reading for everything. I right. think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with this. The Porgs are actually manifestations of the Force. Little demonic manifestations, but the Force Ooh. nonetheless. They are the midi-chlorians. No, no. No. See, you were doing no. so well, and then you had hey, to go Where did everybody one. go? Hey! Uh, oh, pre prequel child that you are. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah. So that mm -hmm. happened. Not wrong. Borgs are midi-chlorians, hashtag canon. Steve. Brandon. Very important question to ask you. Uh, Ahsoka. That is correct. Goodbye. Excellent. <laughs> Would you like to plug your stuff and the things? Your stuff and things. Plug your stuff and things. That's a very personal question. Um, <laughs> this, this is a family show. I, I, I That's why I'm shocked. Um, <laughs> yes, so I, I run a podcast along with my two wonderful co-founders of San Diego Sabres. We're a lightsaber combat group in San Diego, California. Uh, you have experienced this yourself, I believe. Um, in fact, in less than 24 hours, I will be in Las Vegas for a lightsaber tournament. But San oh. Diego Sabres, as a lightsaber combat group, we also have our San Diego Sabres radio podcast. We transmit weekly out to the galaxy at large. We talk about lightsaber combat. We talk about Star Wars. We do death matches. We do what-if scenarios. And we love having guests on our show, such as Brandon has been on there before. And the more and more Star Wars stuff that comes out, the more we have reasons to talk about it. So 2019 is going to be amazing. But you can find us at sandiegosabers.net, not .com, not .org, not .gov, but .net. Not and not Actually, you can oh, find oh. us at starwarsruinedmy.beer. Oh, I need to look that up. I forgot. I was at the grocery store when I was listening to the, that episode. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I got I like it for that. dot beer and dot life, just in case, you know, for the just haters. At yes. <laughs> um, my friends over the Rogue Squad pod picked up Star Wars dot beer, so I had to, um, you know, join in the fun. Uh, yes, so San Diego Sabres .net, all of our social media is up there. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on YouTube. We're doing more YouTube videos these days, so check us out up there. Otherwise, I will turn it back to Mr. Brandon. Thank you. All right, Drew. Uh, best place to find me is probably on the Clashing Saber Star Wars community Facebook page. I like to bother people there and incite problems and poke them and make them make them angry. For some reason, I find uh, a healthy amount of joy in that for, for, for some reason. Um, also on the Twitter, at the Drew Brett. That's me. Um, you can find me there where I'm trying to plug some of the stuff I'm writing for the Final Fantasy and Elementary School adventure blog that I've, I've, I've taken upon myself. Trying to take a five-year-old and a seven-year-old through Final Fantasy X gets more and more challenging every single time. But you can keep up with our adventures there. I'll post the next... I think that next one should come up uh, probably by the time you hear this. I should have part four? up um it's very entertaining if you've played the game um it's even more fun <laughs> <laughs> and of course you can always come hang out with us like drew mentioned on our facebook group at uh clashing saber star wars community on facebook that is a great troll free place where we have like 
legitimate discussions about Star Wars, and nobody yells at each other except for Drew, but we all ignore him, so it's fine. Wow. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, not wrong. I mean, to an extent. Um, also, we are over on Twitter at Clashing Sabers. We are on Instagram at Clashing Sabers. There's about one, maybe two pictures up there. I need to get a lot better at the Instagram stuff. I have an excessive amount of social media to keep up with, guys. It's really quite ridiculous oh it's so hard being you no no i have three twitter accounts that i'm in charge of three facebook groups <laughs> and three instagram accounts guys i don't get sleep anymore this is rough <laughs> i can't wait for you to have kids it's gonna uh, be hilarious oh i am looking so forward different. to that this is gonna be great all right i'm i'm gonna come visit I'm going to visit the kids, I'm going to feed them sugar, and I'm going to run away laughing. <laughs> Uncle Steve is not allowed to come over anymore. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All uh, right. Before before we Star Wars not ruin my life anymore, Batch 8. Hi-ho! The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use it for informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here. <laughs>